You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. The Lord be with you. It's been a rich experience for me to to be here uh, at Trinity Church. Uh, It's been 30 years since I was here, and uh, unless some of the people that have been in your school system for a long time uh, were here back then, uh, I had the opportunity to preach here for an all-professional church workers conference, and uh, so at least have that familiarity uh, with that. Through the years in ministry, uh, I was uh, in chaplaincy at the State Penitentiary in Lincoln for 20 years. That shaped me uh, in a very, very different way uh, in ministry, and then went into uh, a parish in Lincoln uh, that needed to be turned around and, and rebuilt. And uh, then my last 15 years of active ministry, I was in a congregation in Owatonna, Minnesota. And that was a fast-growing congregation. It was like riding waves, uh, keeping up with, with all the changes that were taking place in that place. Uh, so I rejoice in the experiences I've had in the way God has shaped me and uh, pray that that's a blessing to you uh, as we worship today. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Question right off the bat, how many of you have ever been in a vehicle and heard someone in the vehicle say, are we there yet? (laughs) Yeah, I I love the little roar of chuckles that go along with that. Yeah, it's a pretty universal kind of uh, thing that, that gets said oftentimes by young people, though I have heard older people say, how much further is it yet? Um, now, the question is, and, and uh, maybe you have a strong opinion, we believe and teach that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And some people don't think that Jesus uh, would have experienced or felt what we tend to call negative feelings, like anger and boredom and frustration and things like that. I believe Jesus would have experienced every human emotion the same as we have, the only difference being that Jesus didn't sin uh, in uh, his response to those emotions. So Jesus' family in the gospel today has taken a trip to Jerusalem, and uh, you got to realize that it's not the same as us hopping in a, in a car and driving somewhere. Uh, they traveled roughly 80 miles, and I mean roughly, literally, uh, because it was a rock-strewn path, undulating path, and would have been very, very difficult in some places to traverse. Uh, caravan of people traveling together, likely for their own safety, because there would have been uh, thieves along the way uh, that had a reputation for Uh, jumping people and and stealing their property. I have some, when I think of traveling, I have some fond memories of uh, uh, travel myself, and uh, I'll share just one of them that's kind of a highlight for me. 
My wife Susan and I, in our last parish, co-taught ninth grade confirmation. Uh, we had moved congregation to the fall because number one, kids are six months more mature, um, but it also had them active with youth ministry and they didn't end with confirmation in May and then take the summer off and, and then not get reconnected. Um, because we were convinced and we remain convinced to this day that of all the youth activities that someone can be involved in, uh, serving people who are less privileged or who are handicapped makes the greatest and the most lasting impact in one's faith. So we would take them in August, right before their ninth grade started, to Camp Motts in Watertown, Wisconsin. It's a ministry of Bethesda ministry, which some of you may have heard about. And it's a week-long camp just for multiply uh, handicapped adults. So um, our youth would serve them, and, and think about this, how challenging this experience would be for them. Uh, some of the people were not able to feed themselves. Can you imagine a 14, 15-year-old uh, for the first time in their life being with somebody they don't even know, and they're spoon-feeding this person and you know, wiping the food and the slobber off their face. Others were in wheelchairs and, and lacked mobility, and, and the youth are getting them from activity to activity. Some of them were nonverbal. They could not communicate with words. And uh, if you can imagine trying to build a relationship and engage with a person uh, in that kind of a situation, uh, it really stretched our youth. Well, before, before we took off, uh, some of the kids were expressing their concerns over some things. Uh, first of all, that the trip to Watertown was 400 miles in length, and uh, some of the young people weren't too crazy about sitting in a car, cooped up in a car that long. Secondly, none of the vehicles that we took had a DVD player, so you couldn't just plug a, a movie into the player and kind of zone out for that eight hours you're going to be on the road. And then also, they weren't allowed to take their personal cell phones or any other electronic media because we wanted them to talk to each other. We wanted relationship building, which was important not only for our ministry, but it was important with the people that they were going to be caring for as well. And oh my, the conversations, when we got back in the car at the end of that week and drove back that 400 miles, were absolutely astounding as they were telling the memories that they had and the meaningful interactions that they had with the people they were caring for. Um, and then the parents, after the kids got home, told me over and over and over again the impact that this had had on them. So I certainly am not a perfect parent, and uh, Susan would admit that as well. And uh, our own children uh, said, are we there yet? <laughs> or how much longer is this going to be? And there would be that, that sense of uh, disgruntledness uh, the, in their voice. Um, you know, try as we might to entertain them, 
with uh, alphabet games or I Spy or <laughs> playing Hangman and other kinds of games, they would get frustrated and then our blood pressure would go up and some of our responses to them were less than perfect. They were less than loving. So let's take that into the trip that Jesus' family made to Jerusalem. Was there boredom within the crowd that went? Were there sore feet and people maybe complaining? You know, uh, how much further are we going to go? Children competing for attention, maybe from the adults, frustrated parents, adults who are getting tired. What happens when adults get tired? We can get a little bit testy at times, right? Just saying. You know, I'm not saying you, but it can happen. Okay? Well, I'm certain that the kids played games even as they walked along the path. Maybe tag existed 2,000 years ago. I don't know. Uh, because it was so rocky, they had rocks they could throw and rocks that they could kick and uh, uh, roll around. Maybe they jumped out from behind boulders to scare each other or picked up sticks. It's another game some of our kids do today and had imaginary sword fights with each other, maybe hide and seek. But I really enjoy the thought of them being around a fire at night, both for light as well as safety and a a place for them uh, to have their evening meal. And listening to the stories and listening to the conversations of the adults around the fire, I wonder, one of the things I wonder is how many times were the stories told of the angels visiting Mary and Joseph? How many times were the story told about the miraculous pregnancy of Elizabeth that resulted in the birth of John the Baptist? How many times did they revisit that story of the miraculous impregnating of Mary? We know that Jesus loved to listen to the stories of how God loved his people God being the perfect parent, okay? Jesus dearly loved going to the temple, not just seeing it, but worshiping and sitting and listening to the teachers. And more than simply listening, Jesus asked questions, thoughtful questions, questions that amazed the teachers at Jesus' knowledge and his wisdom. You might remember Jesus taught and perform miracles at the temple and near the temple. And on at least one occasion, he angrily drove money changers and sellers from the temple. And and the text simply says, the zeal for his father's house consumed him. Ever been consumed by an emotion? But we rejoice that God was intentional as to the earthly parents that he chose for his son. Uh, But they, Joseph and Mary, weren't any more perfect than you and I are. But his parents did have good, faith-filled practices. Just like you being here today, every year his family would make that trip of 80 miles one way 
to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It was a feast commemorating the miraculous delivery of God for the people of Israel from Egypt after 430 years of slavery. And the Passover becomes a really important event throughout Jesus' ministry and for us today because it proclaims victory and deliverance from another form of slavery that Jesus' willing sacrifice of his perfect life on the cross would be our deliverance from slavery to sin. Any of you get together with family recently? Do you have predictable times when family gets together? Holidays, birthdays, maybe even anniversary celebrations? I want you to picture in your mind who are those people that routinely are present at these gatherings? And do they all have the same personality? Do they all have the same likes? Do they all have the same dislikes? Are there people that you, everybody else just wants to kind of shrink away from, while there's other people that are naturally drawn close to them? They come to, do people come to the gatherings with all the same expectations? And I'm seeing, I'm not hearing anything, but I'm seeing some nonverbal reactions to those questions, and I understand that. Uh, just because I'm human as well. You know, maybe little consolation, but Jesus' family had the same challenges. Today's gospel is the one family story of Jesus that God chose to inspire to be included in the Holy Holy Scriptures. It's after the Feast of Passover, Jesus' family packs up along with their other family members and they start to head back to Nazareth and Galilee. And you heard in the text, it wasn't until the end of the day, Joseph and Mary begin to look for Jesus and they expect, well, he's with somebody else in the family as we uh, walked along. And they look around and, and Jesus absolutely cannot be found. How many of you know the fear of being separated from your child for any length of time? Yeah, almost all parents experience that at some point. Our Sarah, our daughter, she was our first child. She was a runner. And that was fine with us once she got into junior high and senior high and she ran track. But as a one-year-old, she could disappear in a flash She might run underneath a coat rack or a clothing rack in a department store, uh, or we'd be in a crowd and and all of a sudden you look behind yourself and she's not there. And that almost immediate and sometimes even intense fear uh, is very, very real. Knowing that fear, I can only imagine the emotions that were raging through Mary and Joseph as they frantically looked for Jesus. A sleepless night later, they returned to Jerusalem where it took yet another day before they found him. 
the absolute minimum, you know, and the, the math is hard to figure out from the text that said three days, but if the three days are the days they were just in Jerusalem, it could have been five days. Um, so this gave them a lot of time to go without sleep, gave them a lot of time to begin to imagine what the possibilities were for what had happened to this child that God had entrusted to them. Uh, some scholars, uh, I get a kick out of this, some scholars think there was an edge to Mary's voice when she said, son, why have you treated us like this? Duh. <laughs> of course, of course there was an edge. Three sleepless days at least, and they walked, they probably put on another 40 miles uh, over those three days looking for him. And it all comes down to, it all culminates in this explosion of emotion when they found him safe and healthy. Son, why? So Jesus, in his response, it's a verse in the Bible that, that I think could be translated better uh, than what it is. Here's, here's what we had in the ESV. And he, Jesus, said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, there, I don't have any problem with the first question, why are you looking for me? But in the second uh, question, most translations use the word house. It refers to the temple. It refers to his father's house. And the trouble that I have with it is in the original Greek, there's no mention of a place. There is only mention of a purpose. No place, but a purpose. So try this on. Instead of did you not know, I believe the true meaning of what Jesus says is you should have known. Think about that. You should have known. And why in the world would Jesus say that to Mary and Joseph? Because both of them, both Mary and Joseph, had had visions from angels who told them who this child was going to be and what his mission from God was. Jesus' mother uh, had heard Elizabeth and baby John, John the Baptist, prophesy. Both of them had heard the words of the shepherds and the magi when they visited uh, Jesus and his, his family after his birth and shared the things with them that had, they had been told by the angels. Both of them were present when they were in the temple and handed Jesus over to an old man named Simeon who bellers in the temple with tears of joy. They met old Anna, who had been in the temple for eight, nine decades, praying, and she prayed with them. And everybody that she came in contact with, she told them about Jesus. Each and every one of those experiences, the two of them, Mary and Joseph, had been told who Jesus was and what his mission on earth would have been. 
So I think it's consistent with the text and in the interpretation. You should have known. You should have known I must be about my father's business to be about his mission. The father sent him for a purpose. Um, I'm going to invite you in just a moment to fill in a blank. And I've already learned from the other two services that you aren't asked very often to talk back to the person giving a message. Uh, so I'm giving you permission now to loosen up your tongue and uh, go ahead and respond freely to it. What did the angel say? You shall name him Jesus because, because he will he will save his people from their sins. Absolutely. And you get to this point, the story, and it says Jesus' parents didn't understand what he's talking about. <laughs> That's amazing. But at the same time, um, you know, we had an Old Testament reading in the other two services that talked about Solomon praying for wisdom and discernment. And what a rich prayer that was to be able to understand God's purpose and will. And uh, we do well to pray that prayer regularly ourselves. Lord, help us. Give us discernment. Help us to understand and to apply the knowledge that we have of you and your will uh, to the way that we live in ways that please you. I love the Ephesians passage that was read today. In a nutshell, it contains the whole purpose for which Christ Jesus came. The second song nails it as far as Christ's righteousness and, and the gift that's given to us. God in Jesus came in human flesh to give his life to restore us in relationship to the Father, our perfect Father. So the text began, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Have you ever thought of that? Every blessing that you have received is from God. Every blessing that everyone here and everyone associated with this ministry has received, the source of those blessings our God. He chose us. He chose us even before the creation of the world. And he knew that his Holy Spirit would give us faith in Jesus and sustain that faith. Yeah, it's our story of faith. We're chosen. We're predestined. We are adopted by the very God of the universe to believe Jesus came and gave his perfect life for our forgiveness and eternal life. And above that, we're changed. We are transformed by our perfect father. The Bible says we die to sin, we live to him. It says we die to ourselves and we live to love and to care for others. Again, to use God's own words, in him, in Jesus, we have, and then this passage from Ephesians lists five different blessings that each follower of Jesus receives. 
We have redemption is the first one, that Jesus paid the price for our sin because we can't pay that price ourselves. We have forgiveness. We have forgiveness that's lavished on us. It's poured out over us. It's more than we even need for the sins that we have because it's all won by Jesus on the cross. Sin, forgiveness for every person of all time. We receive knowledge of God's will. To have a discerning heart, to know the difference between right and wrong, and to have God's wisdom to be able to apply that to our everyday choices. And in Jesus, we have hope in God fully completing his plan. Have you ever heard the, what Paul said in, it's in Philippians 1? He says, I am convinced that he who began the good work in us will bring it to completion on the day that Jesus returns. What is that good work? I like to keep it simple um, because it's the easiest to remember. It's just two words. And uh, I challenge you, every time you read scripture from now on, watch for these two words. So that... They're in the Bible hundreds of times, and they always have the same intent and focus. We have faith to trust in Jesus so that we can make him known to others. That's a good work that the Holy Spirit is completing in us. All that we receive from God's loving hand is given that we might meet the needs, both physical and spiritual, of others. Number five, we receive the Holy Spirit. He's been given to us as a deposit. He's been given to us as a guarantee that everything God has said to us, everything God has promised us, is true and will happen. 